This is the podcast for October 28th, 2011. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just behind the Angry Birds slingshot, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. We've got an app. We've got an app. For those of you that have smartphones, and I think most of our listeners listen on laptops, that's been the the indication of polls that I've done, but if you have a smartphone and you want some exclusive content, we have an app for sale at the the iTunes App Store. Eventually, it's going to have exclusive content on it. We haven't quite worked out what that's going to be yet, but we're that's our next step. It's me saying you know, you know, you know, over and over again. Yeah, it's, that's what it is. It's all the outtakes of you going, um, you know, um, you know, um, you know, and we make it into this thing, and then over the foreground, we have the revolution will not be televised. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, um, you know. We have an app, and we have a, a person to thank for it. Yes, Marlene Zenker wrote this. She re- emailed us, wanted to write an app for us, wrote us an app, showed it to us on a smartphone, and now we're just addicted to Angry Birds. It's terrible. <laughs> for the first time in our lives, we're so we're so behind the curve. Yes. But we are excited to have an app. And she really went through. She worked hard on this. She, she really did. did. It was. It's awesome. I. It. It thrills me to see it. Mm-hmm. See our our podcast up there. So thank you, Marlene. And oh, it's beautiful. It's a thing, it's a of, beauty. thing of beauty. And mm-hmm. we're very grateful to you. And hopefully, it one of the things that we really wanted to do, and Marlene was very clear about this too, is to raise the profile of the podcast so that people yeah. shopping in the app store would see it. Oh, look! And yeah, we want to we want people to know about us. So thank you, Marlene. And if you would like to uh, look at the app or buy the app. Uh, there is a link at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. And uh, you and I, both of our blogs. Yeah, you can read our blogs. Accessible through this thing, too. And, so, and our Twitter streams, yeah. and uh, which is really, you should have Drift Glass's Twitter stream up during the debates. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I do have that's my when fun. You, that's when you, you do your five-finger exercises I during do, those do. debates. And some of them are, I, some of them, I, I must say, some of them ring very true. They and they're do. fun, and they're they're fun in the in the moment. Yes, it's, it's that immediate it's that reaction, instant, one liner. Yeah, it's you're that good at instant that. at the bar. It's that instant at the coffee shop where where that you have to have it in the context of the conversation, mm-hmm. but it, it works really well. And I'm those are fun. Those are fun to do. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, Marlene for again the the uh, readdicting me to something or addicting me now to something that has reactivated all my old Tetris <laughs> synapses that have been dormant all these years. Well, we are uh, so behind the curve. Angry Birds is so over, you know? Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Literally out of the goodness of her heart. It, she really did. took us on, took us under her wing, and, and treated us really well. For thank people you, who know you. nothing about smartphone technology at all, we, she just mm-hmm. handheld us through doing this for us. Well, she did it for I would, us. So I wanted to know if we needed to run the JCL every night. <laughs> <laughs> um, you had control codes, you know. We're we're giving so few people in the world an orgasm right now. I'm sure it's a really good one, but it is. We got to move is. on. Uh, I want to talk as everyone is talking about Occupy Wall Street and the Occupy movement that's raging across the country. And you mean on our 99th episode, you want to talk about the 99 percent? Yeah, we planned it this way we- 100 episodes ago. <laughs> I just mentioned the revolution will not be televised, and I'd like to read a verse from that song. You know, that song, by the way, is by Gil Scott, Scott Heron, who died this year. Mm-hmm. 
So it's it's ironic in a way that he died before this particular revolution happened. Although, you know, as as Ed Schultz said last night, this is just like the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the the Oakland tear gas. Tear gas. This is just like Chicago, baby. Well, you so. know, it's it. It's the same revolution over and over, over and over again. I've, yeah, as you say, this song is from the '60s, you know, '70s. Mm-hmm. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not go better with coke. <laughs> the revolution will not fight the germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised. And I think that's something that I've seen a lot of this week. Occupy Wall Street started was incubated by Adbusters magazine, mm-hmm. which is really a you know hipster counterculture magazine about how corporations have taken over our lives. And I think it's fantastic that those people that are participating in Occupy Wall Street, and, and all of us should be, are uh, resisting efforts that are inevitable to commercialize it in some way. Mm-hmm. That said, I'm getting a little bit pissed off at uh, some of the purists, especially on Twitter. <laughs> it's just it's getting to be a bit much where people are complaining about Naomi Klein mentioning her book on television while she's being interviewed on Occupy Wall Street because her book, No Labels, is the Bible of the anti-commercialism, anti-corporate takeover of our society movement. I mean, it is the intellectual backbone of everything that's being said. And so I don't have a problem with her interjecting that book into the conversation because without all of the work that she did, we wouldn't have a backbone to this, you know, to this movement. And and it bothers me a lot when people say, well, you know, Naomi Klein, hawking your book, we're not going to sell stuff here. This is not about selling. Well, she's got to eat, and she worked on this thing, you know, and she was there before you were. So it it just bugs me that... Yeah, there's a difference. There's a yeah. very big difference between someone who has been... Sounding the alarm bell. Yeah, and 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 this is a phrase we use a lot on this podcast, and we use in our blogs. Who who created the vocabulary? Yeah, that is now being used to speak about what's wrong with our culture and what's broken, how to fix it. There's nothing wrong with that person standing on top of a movement they helped create and talking about their co-creation or their their midwifery or whatever you want to call it that's absolutely legitimate there's there's you know unless we would like as you were saying in our pregame unless you would like them to live on air yeah um, or on their mad web design skills as one one twitterer replied to someone about that and said oh you just want us to live on air or our mad web design skills just not gonna happen property might still be theft but above a certain point you kind of want to have a roof over your head and maybe pay your bills. Yeah. And then I begrudge no one that. Yeah. And the callbacks to the 60s and early 70s, the more you think about it, the more it's just, you know, we have our two comedy shows that tell the truth. And they had Laugh-In and Mother's Brothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, we have our television that is relentlessly focused on trivial crap 
commercialism yep. and making sure you don't pay attention to what's going on outside the window. Yep. <clears throat> and we do too. Yes. Yeah. And it, it really is. And, and so the, the, it's not surprising that given it's like life forming on another planet, given the, the chemicals and the right conditions and the right electromagnetic shocks in the airwave, similar forms of life will be created in wildly different environments. So you have a government that's broken, a media that is complicit in it. You have very, very wealthy people who are sort of all linking arms, not all of them, but a lot of them are, and especially multinational corporations, all joining, making common cause against us. And so you're going to have a scruffy, um, ill-defined, angry, very articulate movement that is drawing from lots of its um, intellectual forebears. Right, including you. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of gotten me. I've been listening to the past six months of our podcast, and something has definitely changed in the air, in the political air in which we move and breathe. Because when we were talking six months ago about corporate takeover of our society and so forth and tax structure and how we how we change things for the better, we were I really felt like we were voices crying in the wilderness. And I don't yeah. feel that way anymore. And that's awesome. Don't yeah. don't mistake this for grumpy we were here first man that kind of thing no i'm terribly excited about this movement this is really what we've been waiting for and and think about where this podcast got its name yeah exactly you you and i sitting on the on the sofa back in chicago Mm -hmm. when um gibbs (laughs) opened his pie hole and mocked the professional left for not getting behind the president's let's compromise more agenda yeah you know and all those sort of loud shrill liberal people who didn't see the wisdom in bending over and grabbing both ankles and taking it up the ass from Republicans. In full disclosure, and we've talked about this before many times, you know, you're unemployed, we get we get food stamps, we're on Medicaid. This is us sitting in our house recording on old headsets. We're not we're not million thank God, we're not million dollar a year news people inside the beltway we couldn't do this we couldn't be truth tellers if we were that but again speaking from that perspective it really irks me to see people in the movement dissing those who've worked really hard for nothing or for you know a one book book contract and they were lucky to get that in this day and age there are no books anymore and to, to publish a book that tells the truth like no labels did uh, at a time when it, you know, years ago, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, she's just hawking her book. No, you know, this no. is this is the language of the movement that you're part of, and you need to read that book. So she's reminding <laughs> that you need to read that book, and it's not old; it's brand new. It's it's no. the the vocabulary that we all need to share. Just like with, I mean, Al Franken has funds, but you know, he provided us with. Uh, a lot of vocabulary with which to discuss social security privatization in particular. Well, he armed us. And he armed he, us he with provided it. A, yeah. He was the, he, you know, this is, the, they, they talked about, you know, World War II, the, before America got involved, we were the arsenal of democracy. Yeah. yeah. There are people out there, there, there are uh, a handful of souls, some of whom are, you know, being rewarded and, and have straight gigs and some who don't, mm-hmm. who have provided the pitchforks and torches yep. for this particular movement. And I begrudge, 
let me reiterate, I begrudge no one standing up and saying, okay, that was worth something yep. or go away. If, yeah, if, if yeah. what Naomi Klein is doing, for example, is not worth anything, then don't use her words and don't appropriate her ideas or anybody else's. If, if, but if she got it right, there, there's a value in that. Yeah. And I'm not saying a monetary value in that, but there's a definite value in that. And as, as we were also saying during the pregame, you could boil the last six months, the entire campaign season of the last six months – or the last two years, or the last six years, or the last ten years, forty years, or the last thirty <laughs> years, down to four words. Yeah, the liberals were right. Exactly. Barack Obama. Hey, hey, President Obama discovered that the Republican Party is an intractable bunch of destructive assholes who want to destroy him and this country to advance the agenda of their corporate owners. Guess who's been saying that all along? The Iraq war was a fantastically bad idea. Guess who's been saying that all along? The Bush tax cuts and the wars the Bush people created are going to bankrupt this country. Remember that? Remember it was going to take a generation to clean up? It was going to bankrupt this country. The tax cuts during a time of war were, were fiscal insanity. The people who said those things were called traitors. Yes. We're called un-American. We're called surrender-loving, you know, French. French, <laughs> French surrender monkeys. Surrender monkeys. America-hating yeah. surrender monkeys. The people who said those things all still have their jobs. Yeah. They've all been proven categorically completely wrong. They should be on the streets dancing for fucking nickels, and they're not. Meanwhile, the people who've been right since 1978 or 1985 or whatever you want to do it, are, uh, however you want to call it, are still outsiders. Yes. Right. And there's something really weird about that, that Barack Obama, if he were to go back six months and just look at what liberals were telling him, not liberals who had something to sell or an axe to grind or, or were still pissed that he was the president, but a general liberal critique of what was broken in this country. Number one, the GOP had lost its fucking mind and had been crazy for years and was on an arc toward destruction for, for decades. And number two, the media was broken and wasn't going to say this because if you say the problem with this country is the, is the Republican Party – they never let you go back on television again, right. and, and they cut your paycheck off. Right. This has been the diagnosis of the liberals since the Bush years. At least. At least. Yeah. A, a specific diagnosis of what's wrong with the modern GOP and the modern conservative movement, but a general critique. Well, and if I can of, just interject that, you know, one of, the, one of the things that's so great about Al Franken's book is he calls it The Truth with Joe. Yeah. And, you know, it used to be – with Walter Cronkite, that Walter Cronkite and other newsmen were interested in the truth rather than in reporting the controversy. And right. as Stephen Colbert said so wisely, the truth has a liberal bias. So at That's... least you had, when you were working toward the truth, you got in there, into the conversation. Your ideas got into the conversation because the truth has a liberal bias. Right. Um, when all you're doing, you know, it, it just occurs to me right now that the reason that Fox News went to fair and balanced and let's report the controversy is if you avoid the truth, you also avoid the liberal bias that the truth has. And and if you simply report the facts, Mm -hmm. is it a fact that the George Bush economic and foreign policy legacy destroyed this country? Yes, that is a fact. But 
you can't say that. You are not allowed to say that on television. Well, then, so you thank end up goodness with, we're not being paid to say this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess. But, but <laughs> I, a, I agree. But B, that's the problem. Yeah. So yeah. this week, for example, in the New York Times, you have Tom Friedman. Mm. Who still has a job because he's a billionaire, Tom Friedman. Yeah, he's a billionaire, and the people who run the New York Times are billionaires, and the people he hangs out with billionaires, and and as I pointed out, like like Jethro Bodine in the Beverly Hillbillies, being indulged his every crackpot whim Mm -hmm. because Tom Friedman is rich and has rich friends. It doesn't matter how many times he trips over his own dick. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many times he shits himself in public. It doesn't matter how bad a writer he is. He's going to be allowed to flog his god-awful books and his stupid opinions that, uh, that two years later always turn out to be wrong on television and the New York Times forever because that's who owns your fucking mm-hmm. media. But if you look in the New York Times, just, just this is just an example, you will see him deriding almost – the Bush and Cheney decision in Iraq and how badly they did that and how, how don't they feel silly now that blah, blah, blah. And everybody on the left knows that Tom Friedman was one of the biggest promoters of that oh, war. Oh, absolute cheerleader. The Friedman you will outlive anything Tom Friedman wrote. Yeah. And that was written and by a editor. blogger, Duncan Black. Let's give credit where credit is due. Yep. yep. A blogger came up with that, and that is going to outlive him, the and statement the Friedman, the Friedman unit. unit. The Freeman unit is his constant repetition that the war will be – if we give it six more months, yep. if we give it four more months. And he, can, and he said months. that 20 times. You know, yeah, and Every time of, he said it, six more months is another, what, $60 million in the hole billion. for yeah, our country. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and he kept, talk about economics. And, you want to talk about where the money went? You want to talk about our terrible, terrible deficit as my congressman keeps emailing our unsustainable debt? It came from six more months in Iraq, six more months in Iraq. And now Senators Lieberman <laughs> and, yeah. and McCain, who, you know, have become a national. I'm sorry. Yeah. They're a joke. They're just and a Lindsay national Graham. joke saying, oh, yeah. this is cut and run. You know, this is failure. This is mm-hmm. giving the Middle East to Iran and how terrible of us to do this. And, and I, I will say I did see on the news hour, I saw Mark Shields, tired, grumpy. Old Irishman, you know. Old, old Irish. And he's, you know, he's David Brooks's counterpart. Yeah. And before that, he was um, David Gergen's counterpart on that horrible old thing that should have been retired years ago. But he, <laughs> the subject of Iraq came up or Iran came up and. David Brooks got all floppy and worried and so on and so forth. And, and he did say, well, uh, Marshall said basically not, not to name names, but people who got Iraq that horribly fucking wrong should probably sit, sit the fuck down and yeah, shut up. Sit this one this out. Point. Yep. David. And by the way, if you were so concerned about Iran, Saddam Hussein was your guy. Yeah. That's why we put him there. That's why we invented him to keep them in check. Why don't you remember that? Yeah. And the answer is because it's inconvenient. I was horribly wrong about everything, yeah. and if I and if if we started measuring, this is where again our pregame we talked about. This is why it's a confederacy of dunces. Yes, the people who run the show and who are and they're front people. Let's let's be clear. David Brooks doesn't run the show. He's he's a stooge. He's a spokesmodel for a particular point of view. Tom Friedman sort of runs the show, but the the clowns who you see in suits in front of cameras saying the most inexplicably weird shit. Say that because the minute a meritocracy 
breaks out in the newsroom, all of those They're people are They're all fired, fine. yes, yes. Because someone would look at the resume. This is what happened with Chicago Public Schools. A, a person took over, a person I know who took over that school, went through their books and went through all the stuff that they had promised they would do and just started saying, okay, you said you do this. Where is it? Where you said you do that. Where is it? And suddenly they were being held to account for shit they promised to do, gotten paid to do, never did. And they were sitting around going, what the fuck do we do? Nobody ever looked at our books before. Nobody ever checked if we're right. Nobody ever held this to account for anything. So our news media sucks because the people at the top know that if if the truth ever broke through the perimeter, they'd all be be kicked out. And that's why they don't welcome people like us into their golden circle, which is probably a good thing. Well, if anyone accuses us of whining about about this, I want to thank, again, the 11 people. Who gave us five bucks or more last week? Out of the th- yeah. out of the three thousand four hundred and fifty two listeners we had last week, eleven of you gave money, and thank you. Uh, you're supporting independent media that can talk like this, and we're re- we really appreciate it. So I don't want to sound like I'm whining about, as you said in our notes, being right versus being rewarded. So uh, we feel the reward, and we feel your appreciation. Thank you so much. So, well, shall we also thank Chuck for his letter? Well, that's where we're going next. I'm going to read yeah. this letter to you. We're allowed to use his last name because he's actually a published author, Chuck uh-huh. Seegers. He's an author, and he's his latest book, I believe it's his latest book, is called 50 is the New Zero. Very funny uh, writer. And a- and a loyal, a loyal, true fan. He, and he wrote us, he wrote and us. I think it's, I think it's a legitimate question. And so let's let's go let's get to it. Dear Blue Gallon Drift Class, I'm a little uneasy about this, so I'll front load this email with all sorts of sucking up. We have so much affection for you two and your podcast in this house, my wife and I. And as as a side, his wife is a Facebook friend of mine, and she's an absolute doll. Uh, it's been a weekly highlight, either listened to together or more often separately, and then discussed later. And this is such a minor thing, and all about me, of course. Still, it's crossed my mind for months now since I started listening. Just sort of, hmm, and I moved on. On today's podcast, though, in the discussion of Drift Class's Occupy the Newsroom idea, I approve, it popped up again. Another sidestep first. I've been self-employed for most of my adult life, and on those occasions over the past 20-plus years, when I've had an employer, it's been a quasi-freelance situation anyway. Mostly bookkeeping on their part and all of it always done from my home and on my schedule. I think the last time I was in an actual meeting, it was in the 1980s. (laughs) Something to remember when it comes to the real world, capital R. And the 1980s were the golden age of meetings. Meetings, honestly. You've missed nothing. So, gulp, here it is. I have some issues with anonymity. I've been writing for newspapers for a long time, always with a byline. Years ago, politics were a big part of that, particularly with op-ed work for the Seattle Times. I've been chewed out from all over the world. I've had phone calls. My kids have been mildly harassed at school. The past few years, I've been producing a sort of ersatz Irma Bombeck column because it's fun and easy, because it fits with the weeklies I write for, because it feels neighborly, and because I just got bored with preaching to the choir and hearing from the basement. Yeah, that's a good point. There are better places to engage, all sorts of them. Anyway, since the advent of blogging, anonymous writers have irritated me. In some cases, a few, I completely get it. Most, though, strike me as paranoid, unnecessary, and maybe a little cowardly. Obviously, Driftglass doesn't get a bailout from taxpayers, but neither does the newsroom. And yes, I understand the difference between Driftglass and the New York Times. But while those might be apples and some other fruit I can't quite think of at the moment, it does make me a little uneasy, and I hate that. 
I really do like you both so much. It's just that every time I listen and enjoy Drift Glass going off on David Brooks, I can't help hearing the little voice that says, but Brooks uses his real name, and Drift Glass does not. I know that sounds like a Dr. Zeus line, but some days everything does. (laughs) He's a good writer. He just is. Did I say minor up there? I meant that. Very minor. It just takes a small percentage off my appreciation. And I'm sure... Plenty of listeners have brought it up before, and maybe you've given reasons before, or maybe you've said none of your beeswax, and fine, I agree. Oh, I'm mildly curious, but mostly just a little uncomfortable. A little. And as a loyal listener, I wanted to point that out. As I said, all about me. I can also think of good reasons. To preserve a career is one, I guess, something, again, I don't have to worry about, although that doesn't make me feel better. Another is something to do with children I can grasp. Though I can't imagine Driftglass being intimidated at the PTA. No, he is not. (laughs) And I don't want a certified letter swearing me to secrecy if I'm allowed to know why. I don't need to know or care. I just wanted to express that I'm a little uncomfortable with hearing the passion so wonderfully expressed and knowing it's coming from behind a curtain. Your loyal listener who really, really hates being a dick about this. (laughs) Chuck. (laughs) First of all, Chuck, let me assure you you're not being a dick that it's a perfectly legitimate question to ask, why would you listen to an anonymous blogger or anonymous anybody? And I can tell you that going back to day one, I have never promised an audience that I would be anything other than low and perverse. And I have been both for 3,700 posts and two years of podcasting. And I was that way long before that. So I don't break stories. I don't purport to have secret inside information going on in the government, like let's say Karl Rove is about to be indicted. So I don't take unto myself the role of an investigative journalist. I'd be happy to do that. In fact, I'd be happy to have a job at a magazine or a newspaper doing what I do now without so many fucks and swears and goddamns. That is a trade I'd be happy to make. A paycheck, yes. A job, (laughs) right now. A paycheck, yeah. it's, it's, It's that simple. Because in my experience, uh, and in Chuck's email, he made it real clear that this was one of the reasons that he understood that someone would be anonymous. In my experience, career-wise, not just doing blogging, I have I have lost whole teams of people. I have lost positions. I have lost lots of stuff simply because my employer, lots of different employers – just decided they didn't like the way I parted my hair or they wanted to move some funding around or they didn't agree with me over something or something that's trivial, something that's shocking, something that really blew the mind of the younger people I worked with who said, but they can't just fire you for no reason, right? And the truth is, yeah, they can. It happens all the time. And it simply is not worth my job to have some disgruntled peer who doesn't like me, make one phone call, and boom, I'm gone the next day. And you know what? I've worked in places like that. My last full-time job was definitely a place like that. Totally political, depending on who you knew and how much clout you had, that was the level of your job security. Didn't matter how many hours you worked, didn't matter how competent you were, and I was very competent, worked long hours. But one phone call, and I would have been unemployed. And it's just that simple. And that's not a trade I'm willing to make at 20, maybe, (laughs) at 30, maybe, at 50, no. That's that's a ridiculous trade to be asked to make simply for exercising my freedom of speech. And that's all I'm doing. I'm doing what Publius did uh, during the revolution, which is I'm 
making arguments that you can accept or not based on their internal reasoning and based on the evidence at hand. And you're free to say, yeah, he's full of shit or not, but I'm not asking anybody to trust my insider mm-hmm. opinion for anything. So whether or not you agree with me should be based entirely on my use of language, my access to information, and how I construct my argument, and not whether or not I'm telling you I secretly know what the president is secretly thinking, because I don't. So that's my short answer, and I hope it was sufficient. But and, yeah, I, want, I reiterate that you won't happily trade anonymity for a paycheck. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I, I assure you, I have I have dropped emails and uh, sent inquiries to lots of places, and the answer has been silence. I have never gotten a, a email back. I've never gotten an inquiry, and the people I know who are in writing, in journalism, or write novels, or write stories, are mostly unemployed or running in the opposite direction because unless you are in the top tier of the writing profession, just like if Earning. unless you're in the top yeah. tier of no, it's the one percent versus the ninety nine. It really is it's <clears> all over <throat> again. Yeah, yeah. And and in writing, it's entirely you're writing on spec most of the time. You're failing most of the time. And it, it, if you've gone to a bookstore and looked at the Tom Friedman section of the of the bookstore, you will probably notice that the books that get produced en masse have very little to do with yeah. their quality. The books that are produced by Regnery Press for Ann Coulter and Ramesh Panuru have nothing to do with their internal quality. They are objects being created to give people mm-hmm. money. That's it. So writing as a profession is a noble profession. It's something you you know approach with clean hands and um, a clear conscience, and I do it with pride. I do it with the same pride. I'm ripping this off from Harlan Ellison, but the same pride that I would do laying bricks. <clears throat> is my construction correct? Did I lay them true? Did it hold up? I take a lot of pride in what I did, yeah. but it doesn't pay, and it hasn't paid for a long time, and I can't see a future where it will pay unless – one gets one of those very rare gigs yeah. at a at an institution. So, and that's the way, and that's the way of every job I've been in, from academia to public institutions to the private sector to insurance companies to banks. There's two percent at the top, yep. and there's everybody else. And I, I yeah. do want to say too, the the old song, the old Joe Jackson song, "It's Different for Girls." <laughs> Definitely applies to mothers and women on the internet. You know, there there are reasons for women to protect themselves from uh, things. I the way I have always protected myself is simply to be so out there and one of the guys that I have such a crew around me that no one bullies someone in a group. You know, and if that were ever to happen, I know I know the wrath of many many bloggers who would just destroy whoever tried to do that and, well, and th- there is there is protection there is uh, just to talk about, about employment for a second mm-hmm. the the people i worked with and i had many people who worked for me who worked in unions and we got along great mm-hmm. they worked hard i worked hard but their time card and believe me i worked in places that had clocks set eight to four yeah. like clock every day 401 they were gone they worked their asses off eight to four, but it was like, no, fuck it. I worked hard. My union negotiated hard to make sure I wasn't a piece of property, that I wasn't chattel. Yep. And if I had one thing to do over, I'd be in the union right now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and 
Then the other thing is, in addition to it's different for girls, you know, um, I keep thinking about it being different for girls in the political blogosphere, but that's another podcast for another time. <laughs> episode 101. Well, and, and it was funny. I was having uh, this discussion with someone, and they said, well, you know, Digby's a woman. Uh-huh. I said, Digby wasn't always a woman. <laughs> You know, people, you people's there, presumption you, was that, you, that Digby yeah. was a guy. For a, lo- a lot of people, presumed that. And uh, uh-huh. any, but that is another topic for another time. <laughs> the title of that podcast will be Digby. I remember. I, 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 remember, I remember when Digby, Digby was, was a guy. Guy and Steve Gilliard was white. Yeah, that's that's back in the day. That ages us. My goodness, we've been podcasting for a hundred episodes next week. Yeah. And I have been blogging for seven years. Next Friday. Man. Man. We have had a time. We Luka. have had a time. And we've kept body and soul otherwise. together. I mean, it's, again, thank you to the, to the 11 contributors from last week because out of 3,450 3, listeners, 11 of you gave, and we're just so grateful for that. We, we have a website. In addition to our iPhone app. App and by the way, that's going to be adjusted for the iPad. Also, it just hasn't been done yet. But uh, right now, iPhone it's it's optimized for iPhone. At our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, there's a link to the app. You can also listen to us at our website for free with no download and no registration. We're on Facebook, and if you like us on Facebook, you can also friend me. I I am Francis Langham, L-A-N-G-U-M, on Facebook, and if you friend me, I'll be glad to friend you back. We're on iTunes, and also a special shout-out to our Crooks and Liars listeners. And by the way, you know, Driftglass and I are contributors to Crooks and Liars, but we don't own Crooks and Liars. I want to thank John Amato this week, who is the owner and proprietor of the Crooks and Liars blog. We are at Crooks and Liars on Saturday nights at Open Thread, and we are also on Sunday nights at Netroots Radio. At our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, you can make a contribution. You may either do that with the PayPal button, or you can send us a check to the Professional Left, P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791 and that address is on our website our email address is proleftpodcast at gmail.com we love hearing from you feel free to write us about anything and be aware that if you write us at that address we reserve the right to read your email on the air unless you say otherwise so Driftglass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, the Internet Kitties are in the Kitty Union, and they'd like to know what's it to you. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2011, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Oh, I remember the old days. I remember the old days when Skype crashed every five seconds. Yes, I remember that too. That was a hundred episodes ago. Back when (laughs) HelloScan was still available and everyone hated it. This all sounds like exclusive content to me. (laughs) Okay, we got our after the music now. (laughs) All right. This all sounds like exclusive content to me. Ready?